I think on average, people in the States, uh, your average white collar employee is spending about three hours a day. It's a ridiculous statistic, but three hours a day is sending emails. Mm-hmm. If you could drop that down, you would have saved people two hours of their life every single day on average. AI, a rapidly evolving field that has the potential to transform every aspect of our lives, from the way we work and communicate to the way we think about and solve problems. Join me as I chat with the movers and shakers in the industry about the latest advancements in AI and how they're changing the way we live, work, and interact with technology. My name is Kevin Rosenquist. Welcome to Zero Shot. My guest today is Tene Kotari, CEO at Whisper, a company that is building wearable neural interfaces, calling them the next generation of consumer electronics and a more human way to interact with technology. Tene, welcome. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Nice to meet you. So as a film buff, I have to start here. Are we talking technology that makes the movie Her come to fruition? So I would say less, less like her. I feel parts of her made it feel more isolating in a social sense. And I think when I think about the kind of world that we want to see in a few years, it's going to be one where my kids in the future are not looking down at their phones, texting all the time. It's a place where you can be more present and more connected. So essentially having a system that lets you take the things that you want to get done and just take care of it back of your mind so you can focus on things that you really love doing. And so technologically, that might look like a lot of science fiction movies and how they depict things. But in terms of how the actual day-to-day experience of using the product will be like, it's going to be a lot more back of the mind and seamless, kind of taking technology away from the center of attention all the time to something that's that's almost background in a sense. How? (laughs) It's 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 been one of the interesting things. It's actually been uh, the thing that I've been working on for the last 12 years. Back in 2008, when the first Iron Man movie came out, I wanted to put Jarvis. So me and a friend of mine got together and we built what then was one of the world's first voice assistants. And it grew wild because to people, it just felt like magic. You could do things for the first time just by talking out loud to your phone. But what we realized after a couple of years of working on it was voice was never going to make it out there. It's not something you can use out in public. People feel weird using it even in their own home. So Mm -hmm. what do you do? Yeah, It's going to be something that feels more natural. I feel voice assistants kind of reach this uncanny valley where you don't really want to talk to an assistant. Um, Even the talking is a normal thing that you do as people. And so parts of it are under wraps right now on the exact product that we're releasing. But a lot of the user testing that we have done and working with users has gotten us to a point where we strongly believe that this this is going to be that replaces the phones that we carry with ourselves all the time. Wow, that's a, that's a bold statement. I mean, people are glued to their phones these days. 
They are, honestly. And that's one of the strong reasons why we wanted to start working on this now, because we've had smartphones around for the last 15 years, right? And technically, if you look at it, it's pretty much the same as it has been yeah. ever since. Same touchscreen, icons, you type on that same two-inch keyboard this whole time. Not much has changed, but technology has moved ahead. And it's time, and it's the same thing that people said when people were using Nokia's. Same thing people said when laptops were going to become a thing, like who's going to want to have a computer in their room? Like people don't need that. Same thing that happened even before that with just electricity or technology overall. And so it's one of the big shifts that is happening and we are slowly seeing it happen as it comes up in the world, as we move on to what we think of as uh, internally what we call immersive computing, which is one that moves technology to do background. And so your life is always in the foreground of your life. And that's how we like to think about it. And it's going to be there, be it AR glasses, AR contact lenses and everything around that. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, I, I love, I love the idea. I mean, the idea is, is, is super cool. And I, and I thought that the mission on your website was was awesome. I mean, I, I talk kind of kind of goes along with what you've been saying that technology should make our lives easier and give us more time to be present and not suck us in, which I think is awesome. Why is that mission important to you? There are, I think, there's two things that draw me to that. One of them is personal. I feel like when I am spending time with somebody, be it a friend or somebody else, and kind of look away to their phone, to do something. When we're in nature and people pull out their phones to take pictures, at the back of my mind, there's an itch, which feels like, and you're not enjoying the present. Mm -hmm. You're missing out on everything that's going on out here. And it's funny. I just had that I, conversation with my wife last night because we were watching a, a concert on YouTube and it was yeah. like a festival. And uh -huh. all a second the band came out on stage, all you see is just phones go up in the air. And it's yeah. like, you're not even watching the show. You're just recording the show because I mean, I mean it's right in you front of you. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's like, it's those small things that come. And part of it is we have the opportunity today to change it. And building a company like Whisper is, I'd say like it's, it's hard. You could have started any SaaS company that we would have wanted and it would have been uh, easier, at least from a technological perspective, to go and build that business out. It's compared to taking up a deeply technical problem that's, that has a lot of electronics and hardware and manufacturing, creating a new entire category of consumer electronics to build that just works. And the second factor that has been my personal motivator throughout is being able to build magic for people. What can I build for somebody that when they see for the first time and they use, they're like, oh my God, I cannot believe that this exists. I couldn't even think it was possible to build something like that. And here it is and it works and it's just so intuitive to use. I want to see that sparkle in their eye because honestly, like that's, that's what I live for. And that's what, when my co-founder Sage and I chose to work on Whisper, we were pretty much saying we're going to dedicate the next 10 years of our life at the very least. I was going to say, at least. Yeah. 
And I saw your, uh, you were named a 30 under 30 by Forbes, people to watch, right? Yes. So yes. you're not even 30 we'll, years old and you've got this going on? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like to wait too long for, <laughs> for things to happen. Well, I saw, and I think it was either LinkedIn or, or your website that you, you've been interested in this kind of stuff since you were in like middle school, right? From a very long time ago. Yeah. What, um, that what, was actually a really fun story. Sorry, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna ask. So let's hear it. Yeah. So it was back in back in fifth grade. There were a couple of couple of you know high school seniors in my computer lab who were building something, probably an Android game. And I went up to them and I was like, "Oh, hey, what are you guys doing?" And they were like, "Hey, I mean, you won't understand. You're too young." No one says that to me. <laughs> So I, I go back home and I like roughly seen like the name of the, the program they were using. And then I go up on YouTube, I start looking at tutorials and I was 10, right? I had a one hour screen time limit from by my parents. Mm-hmm. So I used to uh, wait for them to sleep, get my mom's laptop, uh, use it and, and work on it for the entire night. And 30 minutes before she was about to wake me up in the morning, I would charge it up to the same battery percentage I picked it up at keep it back in the same spot, pretend to be asleep so she can wake me up. And for all of middle school, I just slept alternate nights because I would be building things one night, sleeping the other. And at 11 p.m., I used to call my friend up and be like, hey, my parents are asleep. Let's get to it. And then we would both work together on building applications. And it was, there was, there was always this joy of, dreaming things up in my mind and then actually going and building it out and seeing it work that drew me towards building things and and iron man's jarvis was really what drew me to to this space mm-hmm. what does the future look like did you ever get caught did your mom ever catch you uh which thing did your mom ever catch you uh she actually did not know for the longest time. Sometimes she did, and I was like, "Oh, I'm doing homework or something," and then she she didn't mind. But I I, I confessed to her like twelfth grade. It was like, "Yeah, I kind of did this," and she was like, "I had no idea this was." <laughs> well, you were really you were really thorough, making sure that the charging was accurate and all that. That's that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did not want to get scolded. No, 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 definitely you 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 uh. You, you, you really ironed out the details, and that's important, I think, for that. Yeah. <laughs> I know you can't reveal a lot about what you're currently working on with Whisper, but mm-hmm. are, you, are you able to talk about the tech at all? Yeah. So one of the underlying technologies that Whisper is built upon is what is often in the category of neural interfaces, or often more commonly known as brain-computer interfaces. And what it really means is when, for example, right now we interact with technology, we use our finger on a touch screen or a finger on a keyboard, either using electricity or these mechanical motions to go and then essentially have output from our body. Now, what we can also do is instead of having these big motions with our fingers or our hands, we can pick up the electrical signals that the brain sends to these muscles. So for example, if I have my hand outstretched in front of me and I think about raising it up, my brain is sending electrical signals down the neurons to the muscles in my arm 
And if I know what these electrical signals are, I know what my arm is going to do. Now, we can take that and build that as an input interface by itself, where we can pick up the electrical signals that your brain is sending to different parts of your body. These can be the smallest signals, which may not even cause any perceptible movement at all. You may just think about lifting your hand up, but the signals are still there. Mm -hmm. And if you can pick that up and decode them, you know what the person is intending to do. And you can have that as the mode of control, which is a lot more seamless than physically pressing something or physically moving. Now, this is a technology that is often referred to as EMG. And it's actually the same thing that has been used in prosthetics for the last 20, 30 years. When mm -hmm. you don't have a muscle, you just pick up what your brain is intending to do from above your muscle, and then you can move the rest of your hand, mm -hmm. for example. And we're taking that technology and be like, instead of just enabling people with disabilities, could you almost give superhuman abilities to fully able people? And right now, because of the advancements in machine learning and low-powered electronics and the dropping costs of all of these, for the first time in history, this is something that is possible to do at scale for not just a few thousand patients, but hundreds of millions of consumers. There's, there'd, be, there'd be people out there who this would make, they, they, they would be scared by this technology. That would be like, this is, this is crazy. This is a bit too much. You know, this is the, the Terminator's next, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Do you, what do you, what would you say to people that are, that are nervous about this kind of superpowers, these kind of superpowers? It, that initially when we had shown this to people, the reaction that we got from people was that of the fear. It's like, are you invading my privacy? Are you reading my thoughts? Like, mm -hmm. you know, things that I'm, that I'm thinking about and I feel a little unsafe about that. And that is not really what's happening under the hood. It's very controlled the same way as like when using a keyboard, you could think like, oh my God, are you trying to read what my fingers are doing? and you're invading upon my privacy. That was like, no, you have full control over it. And so there's a lot on how we share that with people. So when you actually would see the product, none of these questions would come to your mind. You're okay. Like, oh, that makes sense. I've kind of always dreamt of having this my whole life, mm -hmm. that there's just things at my fingertips and it just works. You're, you're clearly passionate about technology, AI technology, and, you know, you seem to be passionate about making the world a better place with it as well. What, you know, where does that passion come from? Your, your passion to make a, make a bigger change than, you know, you even said you could have just done a software as a service type product, but you decided to go bigger. Where, where is that passion for big change come from? That's a good question. So, it's a really philosophical one. For me, it has been a lot about when I see a spark in someone's eyes, that drives me and that could be the smallest things. It could be, for example, when I was, when I was younger back in high school and college, I used to teach math and programming 
to my my juniors and that would be at a time of like oh i get it i like you made me love math for the first time and i saw the spark in their eyes it's like that is one of the feelings that i can't get from anywhere else making a big change in the lives of people and personally to me that feels a lot more um a lot more satisfying than making a small change in the lives of a lot of millions of people mm-hmm. if i had the option i would make a big change in the life of a few people and so that's where every question came from is whatever i do i want to make a big change in the lives of people and the more people i can do it to the better but and that is just the scaling factor so it's always been looking at what is how can i most impact somebody's life and their day to days and creating a slightly better software tool helps in a small part of their day but if you can change the singular device that people use for every single waking hour of their life and you can make that 10 times better and change their relationship with technology that is the biggest one and so maybe it's maybe it's selfish but it's really seeing that that spark in someone's eye uh when you when you can make that impact in their life i don't think it's selfish that just gives you the motivation you know you're doing it for good yeah. but then when you see that it's like that's that's what you're you're like yep that's what i'm doing this for mhm yeah that makes sense yeah i saw on your site that you're hiring for several different roles right now what what qualities do you look for in an engineer what what makes a great ai engineer or product manager in your eyes that's a phenomenal question uh hiring and team building is something that i personally think about a lot and there's two things that we look for when we're looking to make a hire the first one is as a cultural fit and the second one is from a technical standpoint right so i'll, I'll touch upon both of them so let's first dive on to technically what what we look for given the fact that we're solving a really hard problem we want people who are exceptional in their fields so the first thing i look for in every single person that i'm looking to hire is if i spend half an hour on a call with them did i learn something new because if i did and they said something insightful that made me think more deeply challenged my assumptions or taught me something new about the world that i really respect so that's one of the things because you only do that if you step away from just the norms and the basic things that's there in every single book and blog out there mm-hmm. and you come up with a new way of looking at things the second thing that i look for is the hard problems that they have worked on when they're talking about it how excited are they to have worked on that do they feel a sense of pride and this joy like I have been craving for this problem and I finally solved it and it was great just the way you would hear for example somebody who loves to ski talk about the biggest double black diamond that they have gone down on because that makes you feel like this is not just an amateur skier this is this is somebody who loves it and who would give their everything into going and continuing to make themselves better and push forward and experience more and that's what i that's what i look for in in those people is do you talk like somebody who doesn't just do ai for a living but the, their life is around 
AI and building systems that are smarter and smarter. Is that what you care about? From a technical perspective, I would say those are the things. Uh, and both of these things are ones that show a high slope in the person's trajectory. And I'm personally more invariant to where they are in that particular position. I found that with somebody who had barely graduated college. I found that with college freshmen. And I've found that with somebody who's been building things for 20 years. And it's that same spark and it's that same passion that I think a lot of people let die, especially when you sort of work at a large company and you've moved on from actively doing things hands-on to just leading organizations. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when I think about engineers, it's all about this love for building that I want to see. Uh, from a cultural perspective, there's four core things that we look for in people. First one is a growth mindset. Do you keep coming with like, if I ask you like, what is an area you want to grow in? You're somebody who would have thought about that, who would have a very clear, crisp answer to that question. Number two is, are you somebody who maintains high integrity? That is something that is a big, strong personal value of mine. And if you've worked on a project and you worked in a, in a team of people and you're like, oh yeah, I, I like led this whole thing and it was, it was great. I worked on these hard problems and I had a couple of people who did some other, you know, small thing here, but yeah, I totally killed it. That seems disingenuous. That is not the kind of person you want to get on board who is discrediting the efforts that the rest of rest of their team made. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes in, in interviews, I would misunderstand something that they had written. It was like, oh, so you worked on this whole product yourself. And I would want them to correct me and maintain that integrity. Because I feel like if once you lose that integrity, there's not much that you have. And I think the, the final piece is being action biased. Do you, do you speak a lot more and then don't have your actions to show up for it? Or are you the kind of person who has an interesting idea, goes, builds a small thing up, and then be like, oh, this is an idea I had, this is how it would look like, what do you think? Mm. Um, instead of just debating in abstractions. And those are, I think, skills that I've picked up over my last three companies as I was building organizations in each one of them to be the ones of hundreds of skills that you could pick from, the ones that I've found to be the most, the, the strongest signals for a very high caliber engineer. What kind of challenges do you feel that engineers are facing with this rapidly evolving field of AI? I think it's been overwhelming for a lot of them in not being able to adapt to how things are changing. One of the biggest examples is, and this is, this is, a, a huge one, actually. A lot of engineers used to pride themselves on being able to write code, like understand all the APIs and be able to implement them. But now that you have, for example, GitHub Copilot or GPT-4 that can come in and write a lot of that code for you, that is no longer a skill that is as valuable as it used to be because, well, that can just auto-complete all of your code for you. 
The skill now that is the most important for people to develop is given a hard complex problem, how do you architect a system? At a high level, how do you design it? What kind of API interfaces, for example, you need to build? What are the different layers of abstraction, the classes that you're using, the different functions, how they interrelate with each other? It's a lot more about designing that. And then you can just have those functions be completed by GPD and Copilot, and they're very good at it. But the best engineers that are going to succeed in the next year, and this is happening so fast, most people don't realize this. The most important, the, the top skill is being able to architect systems. And that is one of the skills that you need to have. It's, some, it's a skill that not a lot of engineers have. People who do often get promoted to staff engineers pretty soon. And you see them having a lot of skills. But that's the one to strive for. And it's one of the ones that's harder and more subjective. But if you don't have that, then you are going to find it harder to find a software engineering job because the whole definition of what engineers are expected to do has just changed mm -hmm. so drastically mm -hmm. in the last six months. Yeah. Yeah, it has. I mean, it's, you know, I was going to ask you brought up GPT-4. I was going to ask you about that. Have you, have you had a, an opportunity to play around with that much? A lot. Yeah. yeah. What are you uh, What are your thoughts? It is both incredible and obvious at the same times. It's one of the things where after using it and seeing how good it is and how much better it is, even in comparison to GPT-3. Yes, I agree with that. Is just mind, mind boggling, but also it's what you would expect. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that I'm saying these words because two years ago, this is not what you would have expected at all from anything. And my feeling is this whole play of large language models is slowly going to become more and more commoditized where you have OpenAI with their models and then Facebook comes out with them, Google comes out with them, every single one of these companies and even a lot of startups with their own models are going to spring up. And there's going to be a lot of different applications being built on top of it, almost similar to how you would kind of think of, say, AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, slightly different, but kind of interchangeable for most purposes. And then you'll have a lot of uh, startups that would focus on building somewhat more specific large language models. So one might be as a search engine, one might be fine-tuned for helping lawyers draft their documents or some specific use cases that that are being fine-tuned there. But I think overall, this becomes really interesting now because the next question is, well, you have these large language models that are kind of commodities and they're at a good point in the value chain because they get all of the money from everything that's happening above them. Mm -hmm. And then there's this whole suite of applications that are going to be built, be it like the Bing search engine or the ones companies like Jasper that help marketers write copy or whatever else. And, and the question is, who are going to be the biggest winners 
in this space? Is it going to be the large language model companies? Is it going to be these applications on top of it? Or is it going to be something else that enables all of these technologies? And what has happened, interestingly, is because these systems have moved so quickly, people really haven't had time to project into the future and say, what is GPT-5 going to be like? Or even more than that, what is the next category of products in the space going to be like? Because we know text and language-based user interfaces are going to become a bigger thing. That has not been a topic of conversation yet, that we're going to have a lot more things controlled with language than we do with graphical user interfaces. Because GUIs, if you think about it, the reason we have all of these buttons and all of the menus and a cursor on the screen to tap all of these small buttons is because the only alternative before that was like remembering all of the commands in MS-DOS and then trying to do that. (laughs) And now if I just want to be like, I want to mute this call or like, yeah, I want to open the last tab I was at, I don't really have to try to find where those buttons are because the language interface can do all of that for me. Mm -hmm. So graphical user interfaces overall are going to change if you just extrapolate this a couple of years ahead. And these are just a couple of thoughts, and I can talk about this for longer, but just a couple of thoughts on what the world might look like in a few years. And if you are ready for it, and if you are placing your bets sooner, you're gonna be, well, very rich. And, (laughs) and, uh, there's going to be some massive payouts coming soon in this space. So when you say be ready for it, you're talking about tech companies that can utilize the technology that comes out? Exactly. Yeah. Utilize the technology that comes out or, or drive that change. Or develop it. Yeah. Like being, mm-hmm. building GPT-4 into it is like one of the shorter term ways of being ready for it. They've probably been working on it for the last six, seven months and launched it and Google was completely blindsided by it because they never thought this could happen. And that's like one example of where you see this. And I would say that is just on a small scale and there's there's bigger plays happening right now. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of talk you hear about the quote-unquote arms race of AI between Microsoft and Google, OpenAI, Meta, you know, is China, you know Chinese companies are developing their own technologies. Is is this sort of competition good for AI? Do you have concerns with how fast it's moving? I think one of the interesting things that has happened, and I don't know what specifically caused it, but compared to say ten years ago, in public discourse, there is a lot more conversations about the ethics of AI and right. AI safety and privacy. And so if a company launches a product that breaches the privacy, safety, and ethics standards that society has kind of generally agreed upon, there's going to be a lot of backlash. Mm -hmm. And so while there's a lot of competition happening, the market, I feel, and the people are taking care of ensuring that boundaries don't get crossed. And if it does get crossed, those companies are going to die or they will need to significantly shape and change their products. So if you do more fast, move faster than 
is safe, you're going to receive a lot of backlash. And so um, you're going to lose users and lose the trust. And once you've lost the trust, it's hard to get those users back on your platform. So it is in some sense a self-balancing game. So I'm not too worried about that safety aspect with the pace at which things are moving, especially given that people have been successful and they have the power to pretty much uh, outlaw or yeah, just make some projects as, as outcasts. Yeah, I was, I, I'm really, I'm very fascinated by the ethical risk factors of AI. I think it's just a really interesting discussion. Um, you know, you mentioned privacy concerns, there's bias and prejudice and, mm -hmm. you know, tech being used for bad stuff, you know, I mean, what, what do you, we could do a whole series of podcasts on that, really. What, what do you think needs to be done? What steps need to be taken to ensure that that kind of stuff doesn't happen or that at least it's mitigated? Yeah. So here's, here's one example of it. When we have this whole new generation of engineers coming out of college who know how to implement things and, and build simple stuff that now Copilot can just do, you're having these people be unequipped for the world that they're entering into. Mm -hmm. And one thing that needs to be done is you need to have the education system be fast enough to respond to these changes and equip people with the skills that are going to make them be very useful in the world. It's like the same as like imagine the industrial revolution is happening and you're still teaching people how to do woodwork. <laughs> Mm -hmm. No one's going to have jobs. Mm -hmm. That is that you're setting yourself and society up for failure. And with this space of movement, if the education system just moves slower, you're going to have a lot of people who have skills that nobody needs at that point in life. And that just exacerbates all of the financial issues that are already going on uh, for the last couple of years in the United States and all over the world. So you're saying that the education system needs to educate people on the ethics and and making sure that they understand the what could come after instead of focusing on the code just talk about sort of the existential part of it uh i would say there are some things that now ai can do and this is what we talk about when we say like it's going to take away jobs so sure yeah, so it is going to take away some jobs that are Absolutely. more automatable so as an education system, if you then focus your efforts on educating people on these are on how to think and how to think on a larger scale, how to solve more complex problems and use these AI tools for your benefit, that is, I think, what is going to be important. And so this is less of teaching people about ethics of it and more so teaching people hard skills that actually lets them add value and be very employable in the future. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Are there uh, any AI products that you've seen that get you particularly excited? You know, maybe ones that don't get as much love in the media as something like ChatGPT? Other than Whisper, uh, obviously. <laughs> uh, specific AI products... I'm actually right now very excited about Bard. Okay. Uh, have you had a chance to look at that? I have not. I have not looked at Bard at all. 
So Bart is Google's assistant. Yeah. And a couple of interesting things that it can do that I'm personally very excited for is, for example, in your Gmail inbox, you want to reply to some message instead of saying like, oh, hey, Kevin, it's like, you know, thanks for reaching out. We're happy to have like chat with you. Thursday works. Here's like my Calendly link, da, 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 da. Can just be say Thursday works and have Bard draft that email in your tone. Mm-hmm. And so, as instead of people like I think on average, people in the states, uh, your average white collar employee is spending about three hours a day. It's a ridiculous statistic, but three hours a day is sending emails. Mm-hmm. If you could drop that down, you would have saved people two hours of their life every single day on average and made this part of their job that doesn't require a lot of thinking often for a lot of just, you know, routine messaging that goes on back and forth and actually let them spend more time either with their families or more thoughtful tasks or things that they love doing. So that's one of the ones that I feel is is very exciting. And I'm also a big user of Superhuman, the email uh, email platform. And so kind of worried about them. If this does come up, then you may not want to keep using Superhuman because this is just going to be way faster. You mean Bard? Bard, Bard is going to take over? If, if Bard comes to Gmail. So that's an interesting dynamic I, I think would be cool to see. Great. Well... The website is whisper.ai. That's W-I-S-P-R dot A-I. And uh, do you have any sense of when we can uh, expect a, a big announcement from you guys? Big announcement, maybe in a couple of years. Okay. It's it's TBD. The kinds of things that we're building are a lot of nonlinear problems. So it could take a week, a month, a year to solve some of them. And our goal is when we do launch the product, it is going to be something that people would call it's a very high quality, natural experience. And we want to work on it until we hit that spot. So when we do give the product to people, it builds that magic. All right. Well, Tanay, it's been really great talking with you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, you too, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to uh, all the viewers and listeners out there. Until next time, stay curious, stay creative.